0: Thank you all so much. What a great job you all did this morning, that pure sound of the acoustic. I love it. Good good job. Thank you all. I wanted to just say a couple things. Uh, first of all, welcome. Thanks for coming out on such a dreary day. And thank you for those who are joining us online as well. We're, we're glad you're with us. But thank you all for being here. And, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking this week, we have a lot of stuff that goes on during the weeks as far as church related. We have men's and ladies Bible studies. Of course, we have Wednesday lunch and learn and Wednesday night we have our fuel program. But uh, I don't know if y'all know this, but I want to thank y'all because of your support for the church. A lot of things go on in the community here at our church because we've been blessed to be a blessing. And on Mondays and Tuesdays, we have scouts here every week. I don't know if y'all know that. Um, And then this week on Tuesday night, uh, Arbor Springs Elementary School, their choir was up here Doing their I think their fourth and fifth grade choir program and uh, so we were able to host that and then on Thursday night Northgate uh, High School had their basketball. their ninth uh, junior varsity varsity uh, girls and guys team were here celebrating their season and uh, so that we're just we're just thankful because of y'all support for this church we're able to do that in the community and so we're just very very thankful for that. Uh, being able to share our stuff that God's, that God's given to us. Um, all right, so we're going to continue um, one day or day one, you decide, and uh, uh, going through the book of Mark. And uh, actually, I'm kind of going ahead a little bit chronologically where where I have been going. We've been going through the uh, Mark's gospel of Jesus Christ, his account. And, you know, again, as I've been saying over and over again, Mark's trying to get us to see, is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he who he says he is? Just look at his life, and he gives us this fast-paced um account of Jesus' life, and we've been walking through a lot of that. So we're going to go today into chapter 12 of Mark, and it's actually going to be like next week is Palm Sunday. So we're going to go like during Holy Week today at this particular account. But before we get into that, in the last few years, for years when I heard goat, I thought of that thing that eats anything, right? Animal, right? And then sometimes if you uh, were called the GOAT if you missed the foul shot that could win the game or you struck out swinging or whatever in sports. and You were the GOAT, right? That kind of thing. But in the last few years, I've noticed that the GOAT has become an acronym for what? Greatest of all time. So y'all are saying it with me, you know? So we talk about hey, it's Tom Brady. Is he the greatest of all time? Is it is it MJ? Is it LeBron? Which one is the greatest of all time? You can think about it as far as movies, the greatest movie of all time. And people debate and people have conversations and opinion about what the GOAT is in all forms of life. But if I ask you this morning to tell me what the greatest of all time Commandment or rule that you've obeyed in your life, what would that be? Think about that for a minute. What rule or commandment has kind of helped you in your life? Could you come up with just one right now? I feel like we're just going to be quiet and let the wheel spin for everybody, you know? But I thought about that, and, and I, you think about, well, what is yours and why? It'd be interesting to hear what everybody would have to say in that. So, some may think of um, our own country and some of the the rules we've had are, as far as our Constitution, thinking about it, some of the greatest would be, well, the Civil Rights Act, that was great, or the Voting Rights Act, or all these different things that we've added to the rules of our Constitution to try to make our, our country better or great. And some may have to do with your own faith or maybe your religion, or maybe it was a family rule or a commandment that, that you've used over over the years or found to live by. But whether we acknowledge rules or commandments that we live by, we certainly live by them. Even if we don't have a favorite or one that's greatest, we live by them every day in everything we do in life. Rules and commands, they're a necessary part of all the structure. When you drove over here today, you had to follow certain rules, right, of the road. We have to do that every single day. Now, some take certain rules or commands, and they become a very important part of their life. Now, we think about sometimes on Sunday, for instance, we all are still a little myth that Chick-fil-A is not open, right? But that's a, something that they take that rule usually Give a Sabbath day. It's not actually the Sabbath day, but we're going to give Sunday off for our people, and we think that's important. Um, you think about Hobby Lobby, but did you know how many of y'all know about Little Debbie? We've all had an oatmeal cream pie, or a nutty bar, or a fudge round, all that kind of stuff, right? We, we love those. But when I was in seminary, I had the opportunity one summer up in East Tennessee. Um, one of the elders in the church I worked at as a youth minister and was going to school part-time... Um, he ran a little he had several uh, accounts for little Debbie, and he would go and you know fill the little Debbie in, in the convenience stores and grocery stores. So I worked with him that summer because he was going to go on vacation for two weeks and I had to go deliver all his stock to all these stores with his dad. And I learned a lot about little Debbie that summer. One of the things is McKee Baking Company, which is based in Tennessee did you know they The the history of them are Seventh-day Adventists. So from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, none of their trucks are allowed to run. Did y'all know that? And if you are distributing Little Debbie's, you're not allowed to show the Little Debbie logo on your clothes or on your truck or anything you do if you are working during that Sabbath. They take that very seriously. None of y'all even knew that. Little Debbie just comes in whenever, right? But it's very, very interesting. Um, There's also a place called B&H Photo out of... um, New York City. I remember Will our, our playing our keyboards. Day Will helped us get some uh, tell, kind of turn me on to that that group. And they are um, uh, mostly the owners are Jewish and they take the Sabbath very very seriously. They do not sell anything on. Sundown to sundown on on Friday Saturday, during the Sabbath, even on their own line, they will not even open their own service during that time. And some people are like, "What in the world?" You know, they take very seriously all the Jewish holidays, and they will not be open online or any way. And they're the second largest non what is it called non-chain um, distributor of cameras and video equipment in the world, only second to one in Tokyo, Japan. So very interesting. But somebody finally asked him, go, why can't you, even on Good Friday, y'all don't open up. That's a big business. Why don't y'all open up? Why can't you make an exception and at least open your online part of your business at B&H on then?" And he goes, we respond to a higher authority, was his reply. So, so very interesting. So we're going to look at today a time where Jesus got asked... What is the greatest commandment of all time? What is the goat of all the commands that there are? What was the greatest one? And a teacher of the law has come to Jesus and asked him that. But before we get to that, I want us to kind of do a little bit of background on Jesus before this question. Because this wasn't the first question that Jesus had on that day. This is during what we would call Holy Week. After Palm Sunday, Jesus has a whole week. And there's a lot of things that go on that week that are very interesting. Leading up to him being arrested on Thursday night and being crucified on Friday, and being resurrected on Sunday. But this is probably Monday or Tuesday, and Jesus is being asked by the authorities several questions. And one of the questions he gets asked is they come up to him and go, by what authority do you do all these things you do, Jesus? These miracles, these healings, all that you do, by what authority do you do those? Or by whose authority do you do what you do? And Jesus basically says, I know what you're trying to do, I know you're trying to to get me to say something that's going to make me look bad. So he goes, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you by whose authority I do these things. If you tell me, John the Baptist, his baptism, was it from man or was it um, from God? Which one was it? And they had to kind of get in their little holy huddle, you know, and go, oh, let's see. If we say it was from man, the people will stone us because they know that John was from God. And we will get, you know, we'll get a riot started. We can't say that. But if we say it was from God, then Jesus is going to ask us, then why didn't you believe him? So they say, We don't know, Jesus. So Jesus goes, Well, I'm not going to tell you by whose authority I do. So that would be Jesus one, religious leaders nothing on that day. And then they didn't stop there. Then another group comes to him and they say, Oh, we've got him. We've got and you know they had to be thinking about this behind the scenes, like how can we trap Jesus? So they come to him and they ask him a question about taxes. And they say, Okay, Jesus, is it right to pay taxes? to Caesar and they think they've got him he's like wow if Jesus says yes then the Jewish people are going to be you know an uproar about this if you say no then the the the, the Romans are going to hear about this and they're going to be on his case so we've got him no matter what he says it's going to be you know it's going to be toast for him and Jesus and this is where Mark is 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 great he lets us know this is how Jesus handles these things this is how he has to be the Messiah how does he know the foreknowledge? first of all he goes why are you trying to trap me I know exactly what's in your heart and your mind. You're trying to trap me. You're trying to make me look bad. I know what you're trying to do. But he says this. How about bring me a denarius, which was the Roman coin. And they bring it to him. And Jesus says, whose inscription, whose portrait is on that coin? And they said, Caesar's. And he says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. And they go, that'd be two to nothing, Jesus. But again, it was brilliant. And Mark's just letting us see a day in the life of Jesus and say, look at this guy. How is he able to respond to these things like this? and then there comes a third question that Jesus gets asked, and it 's by the Sadducees and Mark tells us that the Sadducees do not believe in life after death; they do not believe in the resurrection, and that is why they are sad you see. I know that's corny, but I learned that when I was in growing up in Sunday school, we sang this song about the Sadducees, and they were sad, you see because they don't believe in the resurrection, you know. But they come and they think when they ask him this kind of confounded question about so this lady is married to this man, and the man dies, and they don't have any kids. And so, according to Jewish law, then her brother's supposed to marry and have kids for the brother. And they kind of come up with this scenario where um, this woman marries seven different guys, and none of them, she's never able to have kids with them. And then finally, he goes, So at the resurrection, Jesus, whose husband? You know, which one of those is going to be her husband? And Jesus basically shuts them down. I'm not going to get into all of that, but basically he just says, you are mad, badly mistaken because you don't know Scripture and you don't know the power of God. And again, he shuts them down. So I believe that would be three to nothing, Jesus. And then we get to our um, text today, which will be in Mark um, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. So we're going to read that. I believe it's going to be on the screen. Y'all can look on, on your phones and your personal Bibles, whatever, but listen to what Mark says. So one of the teachers of the law, so we've had all these other religious leaders, now it's the teacher of the law, came and heard them debating. So he's heard all this other stuff that's been being these three debates that have been going on and how Jesus has silenced all the groups. And he's got to be pretty careful here because he doesn't want it to be four to nothing, right? He wants to at least score. But this is what he says. He came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw he had answered wisely, he said to him, "If you, he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So you may have heard that before, but basically think, well, of all the commandments, which is the greatest. And you think, well, there was only 10, right? There was the 10 commandments, right? No. Did you know that at this time in history, they had moved those 10 commandments and from the law of Moses, there was a lot. But since that time, they and Jesus in that first century, there was 613 commandments that the Jews were supposed to know and obey. Now, out of those 613, 248 were positive. That means those are things you do positively to other people. That's a command you're supposed to do. And then the other 365 were what we would call prohibitions. You're not supposed to do these things. So there was more negative than positive. But Jesus, out of those 613, picks these two and tells us what those two are the greatest. And notice that those are positive things that we do. We get to show action to other people, first to God and then to other people. So the teacher... Um, of the law, this lawyer here is basically saying these are not negative commands or something you don't avoid or don't do, but it's rather a positive, loving attitude and actions towards God and towards others. And the teacher of the law commends Jesus for his answer. He goes, "You have answered, you know, well on this." But how could he not? Jesus is basically saying this is the same thing in the old covenant. In the covenantal law of Moses, that the prophets have been saying all along that yes, sacrifices and all those things are important, but more importantly is having a relationship with God and other people and obeying what God says in those two relationships. So obedience to these two commands, he says, is more important than those offerings. So Jesus, is like, wow, this guy's getting it. In verse 34, Jesus says, You have answered wisely and said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Now think about that. Why would Jesus say to him? You're not far from the kingdom of God. Why not just say, hey, that's great. You're part of the kingdom of God. What did Jesus mean? Hey, we finally agreed on something. It was three to nothing and we finally agreed on something. How about that? All these days y'all been trying to catch me in something. Now we finally agree. Let's all come together for the good of God's kingdom. Is that what was happening there? I wish we could say that was true, but we know it really wasn't. So Jesus, by saying this teacher of the law is not far from the kingdom of God, is basically saying, you're close. But you're not there yet. Well, well, why is he not there yet? How close is he? What is Jesus really meaning by that? What's next? What's left to do for this teacher of the law? Because he obviously knows the law. So he's approved of Jesus' teaching. He's approved of Jesus' answer, which is simply, again, just, you know, uh, telling him, again, what is in God's covenantal law. But what this teacher lacks is that he has not really submitted to Jesus' authority, has he? He said, hey, your teaching's great. I like your teaching. You answered right on this question. But he's not ready to say, but you really are the Messiah, Jesus. You really are God's son. You really are. You have to be the Messiah from what you teach, from what these miracles you've done, all these things that we've heard and seen you do. You have to be the Messiah. You don't have to understand everything like the disciples. They don't understand everything. But guess what? All the disciples have said, we know you're the Messiah. They have submitted to Jesus' authority in their lives, but this guy's not there yet. That's why Jesus says, you're close, but you're not there yet. And this is a good place, I think, to address this in our own culture and lives. There's a lot of people, and a lot of y'all have heard this from maybe friends or family, that will say, yeah, Jesus is a good teacher. I really like his teaching. I really like his philosophy of life. And I agree with what Jesus said about nonviolence, about peace. I agree with what Jesus said about caring for the poor and the downtrodden and those who are ignored or oppressed in culture. I agree with that. He was a great teacher. He set a good example. He made a positive impact. He was right in everything about life. Well, that's great. And you can have that opinion. But if you don't name Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're not going to fully come into the kingdom of God, are you? And this is something we don't like to hear. But when we do that, we're only close to the kingdom of God as acknowledging him for good teaching and good deeds. We don't see and acknowledge him for who he clearly said he was. He said, I and the Father are one. That's not just a gloss over statement, is it? I and the Father are one. You're putting equality with God, yes. And remember all those I am statements that Jesus made? I am the light of the world, I am the Lamb of God. All those things, I am. When the the Jewish leaders heard this, you're saying, I am like God. Who do you think you are? Well, I'm his son. Jesus didn't make any bones. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. He didn't just say, I'm a teaching. I'm a philosophy of life. He said, no, because he knew that even with all those rules, even if you follow these two you're still going to fail, and you're still going to need a Savior. And isn't that true in our lives? As much as I'm going to talk about this today, I'm going to fail at both of those two goats. And that's why I need a Savior. And that's why we need Jesus. And so he's trying to get this guy to understand that. You're close. I hope you keep going. But you're not there yet. And we have to understand that even in our own lives. And we got to encourage people to understand that. Now for a more practical side of this, Jesus is saying in order to be truly part of God's kingdom, I have to submit to Jesus as Lord and Savior and allow his kingdom to rule in my heart. I understand in my mind, in my soul, in my strength, I must do those things in every aspect of my life. That shows that I really have made him Savior and Lord of my life. Now, for the more practical parts of what we see in our text today, Jesus has connected these two commandments. In Matthew's gospel, in this same scenario, Matthew even says that Jesus says, all the law, all the, all the law from, from Moses on, and all the prophets, everything they've said, they hang on these two commandments. All the 613 that y'all have brought it up to, all of them hang on these two commandments. Think about that for a minute. Now, we cannot although a lot of people say they can and try to live like this, we say, I can love God in isolation. A lot of people are not in church this morning, y'all, because they've been hurt by the church. Is that not true? I bet every one of you knows somebody that you love, that you wish were here today, but they've been hurt because of church politics, or somebody did this, or the way they dress and they got looked down on, all that stuff, we know that. But people say, I don't don't do the church thing anymore, but I, I still love God, and I get that. I know people have real hurts, and we have shot ourselves in the foot. I get that. But trying to love God in isolation from all the other relationships you have in your life is really impossible, isn't it? We can't really do that. And God loved us first. God loved you, he loved me first. We didn't go, hey God, I want to love you from the very beginning. No, we somehow formed this faith in God that a God that created me and gave me life for meaning and purpose really loves me enough to send his son for me. He loved me first. For God so loved the world. Not for Craig so loved God that he goes, yeah, I think I'll send his son. No, God so loved the world, all of us, that he sent his son. In spite of my actions, in spite of my performance... He still loved me and sent Jesus. And that should motivate us to not only love him, but love others in spite of their actions and performance. But that's not how I do. Do you do this? I know none of you do. But we, we judge our level of love for people on their performance and their actions. As long as you're cool with me, then I love you. But uh, you got sideways with me, so I don't love you anymore. And we're laughing because we, we do this. And Jesus said, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be. It can be difficult. But God's love for us in spite of our actions. So trying to start day one of asking this question and everything that I do, number one, it's what I'm about to do, is what I'm about to say, is it showing that I love God with everything I have, and is it showing my neighbor that I love them, and I would do the same thing if it were me in that situation? That's a simple formula for life, isn't it? But man, it's hard. It can be difficult, but it must be done in every aspect of our lives. So just for a minute, let's kind of think about that. Just on the getting up this morning. How did we do with those two goats this morning? So when you got up, did you leave somebody hot water at your house? Or did you take a long shower and didn't thank anybody else for anything up? Kids, did you throw your junk all over? Did you clean your breakfast dishes up? Did you drink the last of the orange juice and not save some for anybody else? Did you put the seat down, guys? I mean, we're laughing, but it's simple things, starting with everyday things of life. How about on the way over here, how we drove? Did I think about loving God and loving others when I drove over here today? Did somebody try to, you know, pull out in front of me and say, "Ah, uh-uh, not gonna do it. But if I stop and go, wait a minute, if I wanted to get out, I would hope that that person would let me out. How about in our errors in driving? We all make errors in driving. I know we think everybody else is the idiot drivers. But the other day, you know how you cut through in parking lots, you're supposed to go all the way to the end and go around, but every now and then you cut through the places to try to get there. And last Sunday after church, I almost pulled out in front of somebody, and you know, like, Ugh! and the guy just looked at me like, you know, and I was like, man, I'm glad he didn't get out and you know beat me up or cuss me out. But I was like, see, I do it too. I want to say it's everybody else, but I hope that I would treat when someone makes a mistake driving the way I would want to be treated when I make a mistake driving. So every aspect of our life, they're little things. All right, how about um, after church today, you're going to go out to eat, probably most of us, right? How do we treat our server? Like they're the hired help. Yeah, I need some more ketchup over here. I need to fill up my tea glass. You can come in, you know, you wave your hand. Sorry if any of y'all do that, but I don't like that. Come here, servant, come fill up my tea glass. If you've ever worked in that kind of environment, you know how you can be treated. It's not a good feeling, is it? So how do we treat our server? When we're doing our tip, how do we think about that? I'm doing 20%. I'm doing 10%. They weren't that good anyway. But how, if I worked in this industry as a single mom, as somebody that's working three or four jobs, how would I want to be treated? See, there's that goat again, those two goats, thinking about how we treat people. All right, how'd you choose your parking place this morning? Well, it's raining today. I don't care. I'm getting up front. I don't care if there's visitors. And some of y'all were very sweet, and you let your kids or your wife or your spouse or your husband, whatever, out. Grandmother out at the door, and that, that was great. You're, you're, you're practicing the goats. But how about where you sat this morning? I'm going to sit on the end, and if some new people have to come, they're going to have to shuffle in, you know, around me. I don't care. It's about my seat. How about in our jobs? How do we treat our coworkers? How do we treat our customers? Do we treat them like we'd want to be treated? I mean, it never stops, does it, asking those questions? You know, I love, and I've said this, you know, I've probably heard, I'm probably going to use that illustration again, but Undercover Boss, I love that show because the CEO or the owner of the company all of a sudden goes down on the level with all the workers and he finds out, holy cow, people are being treated like this in that company, that company is mine. Why do we, why am I letting this happen? And when it is brought to his attention, he's like, man, I'm not really loving my employees. I'm not really treating them like I would want to be treated. And a good CEO and a boss changes things dramatically when they find that out, don't they? I thought about a, I was, when I first got married, my um, wife, Melanie, we we had to borrow, I can't remember why, but we had to borrow her grandfather's car for a, for a week or so. And he had a, uh, uh, he had a uh, grand marquee, shocker, a grandparent would have a grand marquee or a a Lincoln Town Car or a Crown Vic, right? That's just, you know, you turn 70, that's what you drive, you know, that's what you do. Anyway, I got to drive it for a week, you know, and I was like floating everywhere. But it's like, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take it to the car wash and get it washed before I give it back to him and fill it up with gas because he let us use it. And so I'm going into the, the, the car wash place, and there's a guy standing there. You know where the little thing is where it tells you, you know, this is the, you know, basic, supreme, double supreme, whatever. And so the guy's going to say, hey, you know, and I'm like, why is he standing here? And he's going, hey, man, if you want the supreme today, you know, I'll do it for you for this price if you just kind of, you know, help me out here a little bit. And I'm kind of slow, so I'm like, well, what do you mean help you out a little bit? He know, like, yeah, if you give me a 10, I'll get you the, the you know, the best car wash for a discount, if you just give me a 10, I'm like, oh, I see what you're doing. So you're taking money from everybody that comes in here, and you're giving them the good deal, and you're pocketing the money. So I'm like, oh. I said, hey, you know what? If you were the owner of this company, how would you feel if your employees were standing out here doing that? He's like, oh, no, nah, man, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. And I was like, no, no, that's not cool. And so he just kind of goes, okay, so I'll just pay the, you know, I'll get the middle of the road, and we'll, be, we'll just be good with that. How about that? But at least made him think, right? Because when we think about that, it doesn't seem when it's for me all of a sudden, but when I take me out of it and go, wait a minute, first, I love God. Second, I'm showing love to others. How about paying our taxes, which is coming up? Well, Craig, that's different because you know how corrupt the government is. I'm not arguing that. I wholeheartedly agree the government's corrupt and they're. Um, not doing a great job on how they use and spend our money. Would anybody, never mind, anyway. We know where we're going with that. But does that mean it's okay if I say I follow in my life to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbors myself that it was okay for me to cheat on that? Because somewhere down the line, somebody's not going to get something they're supposed to get because I'm cheating. But when I ask those two questions, I go, okay, I'm going to pay my taxes. How about making an insurance claim? How do we follow those two rules on that? How about this, students in here? I don't see a lot of students out there. How do we treat our teachers? Say, oh man, come on. One day, you're going to be a teacher of some sort. And you're going to hope that everybody is actually, while you're talking, is paying attention. So there's those two rules again. What I want to be talking or be on my phone while my teachers who spend all this time trying to teach, you know, put knowledge in my head of mush, what I want them doing all this other stuff that I'm doing. It's true. I mean, it's so, those two things are simple, but it's hard. How would we want to be? It works in every aspect of my life. If I really love God, then an extension of my love for God is an extension of how I treat people daily. It shows God that I really appreciate his love, that I really understand that if I'm valuable to him, then everybody is valuable to him. When I realize the value and worth that God sees in me for who I am, not for my performance, but for who I am and loves me and wants what's best for me, then I can look at others and say they have value, they have worth, and I can love them for what is best for them and want what's best for them and try to act accordingly by my actions. It's not a have to, it's a get to. By the way I treat somebody, maybe I can change their life. It shows the love and thankfulness and gratefulness I have for the God that I love first and foremost in my life. And he has created all these people around me just like me. And he loves them and cares about them as well. So I thought about how we in our culture we hear those kind of things, but we there's a lot of what is called relativism. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, that just depends, I and mean, that's a, that's a good rule, Craig. But that may be good for you, but that's not necessarily good for me. Have Have you heard this before? This is for, you know this is um, we we hear this a lot. You know that's good for you, but it doesn't necessarily apply to me. Well, J.P. Moreland one time talked about, and he's a um, an apologist and a college professor, a follower of Jesus, and he said he was speaking at the University of Vermont one time, and actually in a, in a dorm setting, they invited him to like this lobby of a dorm and he was talking to these uh, young men. And so as he talked about the value of God's commandments and laws in our life to give us you know a hedge around things to help us stay focused on, on, on what's best for us in life, this student said to him, "Well, you know what, whatever is true for you is true for you, but whatever is true for me, It's true for me. And if something works for you because you believe it, that's great. That's great for you. But no one should force his or her views on other people since everything is relative. Now, that's not anything new that J.P. Moreland had not heard before. But he just kind of listened to him. "Mm, Okay, that's your philosophy. And he finished on with his talk. And then as he was leaving, he went by this student's dorm room. I don't know how he knew it was his dorm room. But he went into his room and the student saw him going into his room. And he picked up something off out of the guy's room and started walking off with it. And the student made a B-Light. He goes, hey, 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 what are you doing? You can't do that. You can't steal my stuff. And he goes, hold on a second. You're not going to force on me that belief that stealing is wrong, are you? Because you're forcing that on me. And most people who claim that everything is relative and that's how they believe They talk about certain morals in life that are good for you, but not for me. Certain things in life are good for you, but not necessarily for me. But boy, as soon as somebody tries to take their stuff or somebody violates their rights, they become a moral absolutist really fast, don't they? And Jesus is not asking us to be moral absolutists, He's asking us to be aware that there's a Creator that created us, and we're all flawed. And if we understand that he loves us unconditionally and we're going to love him back, then we're going to understand that and we're going to act differently in every situation and how we deal with people in their lives. And again, those two goats, those two commands are very simple, but they're hard, aren't they? But they need to come from our heart, from our mind, from our soul, from our strength. And I'm really going to practice this. So I want to challenge you all this week. To really think about those. And it's going to be hard in traffic. I'm telling you. It is hard in traffic. I had to go to Atlanta this week for the first time in a long time. And it was difficult. And I'm like, you're preaching that sermon Sunday. You're preaching that sermon Sunday. It's hard, isn't it? I want to challenge y'all with that. But maybe there's somebody here today that you're hearing this. And you know what? You're close to the kingdom of God. You believe Jesus. You like his teaching. You like his parables. You like what he taught and what he stood for. But you've not made him Lord of your life. And so we want to give you that opportunity today to name him as your Lord and Savior. And submit to not just his teaching, but to his rule in your life. That kingdom of God in your life forever. And you can do that today. Or maybe you're looking for a church home, and I can promise you, we mess up. I, as your preacher, am not going to do the two goats perfectly all the time. I'm not. And neither are you, and that's why we need a Savior. But we're a church that still is committed to doing the goats because Jesus died for us and rose for us.